and welcome to Revisiting Mad Men. The premise of this podcast is pretty straightforward. I'm going to analyse every single episode of Mad Men. From pilot to finale, this podcast is strictly for people who have already finished the show and are wanting to revisit the show and um, listen to it with some analysis alongside it as well. Thank you for joining us. Let's get straight into it. So season one, episode one of Mad Men. It's called Smoke Gets In Your Eyes. It was directed by Alan Taylor and written by Matthew Weiner himself. Um, and its original edit was July 19th, 2007. The first shot of Mad Men is, sets the precedent for the show, as does the entire pilot in a lot of ways. Um, we see this shot that's a recurrent shot in Mad Men of the camera zooming into Don Draper's back. I don't know if the writers have a specific reason as to why and when they show this shot, but it keeps coming up. Um, and the obvious interpretation, I think, maybe this is too, um, maybe this isn't sophisticated enough, but it just, it creates some distance. It, it reinforces this idea of the audience not fully knowing who Don Draper is, because of course we don't fully know who Don Draper is. Um, until, you know, little clues are given here and there throughout the entire seven seasons. Um, it's only until the end where, you know, you can, you get this idea of who Don Draper is, who Dick Whitman was and is. Um, and the first time we really understand who Don Draper is is actually 12 episodes in when we finally realize, when we finally are shown exactly how Dick became Don. We're given clues, of course. Um, even from this very moment, like I say, that's what the shot is telling us. Um, obviously, it takes multiple rewatches, multiple viewings to to catch on to things like that. But we see his back for a reason. We we don't see his face because he's not telling us everything. He's not showing us everything. The writers aren't telling us everything at that point about who this man is. Um, and then we see uh, this waiter come in uh, and and talk to Don, and Don's sort of trying to come up with ideas for this cigarette ad that he's got. And um, and then a white waiter, who I'm guessing is the first waiter's boss, comes and, and says, is this man bothering you? And Don, speaking of the, the first waiter, who's a black man, says, no, he's not, he's not bothering me. And I think one of the reasons they did that is because, A, it shows Don likes talking to strangers, something else that keeps coming up in the show. But it also... Um, you know, in the first minute or two of the show shows that this man perhaps isn't as racist as some of the other people in that era. That's up for debate. I mean, I'm not sure if we have, there's probably a lot of evidence of him also being racist in the show, but in these first moments where we're told that Don, you know, at least doesn't have a huge problem or any, you know, any sort of, massive racism i guess i guess i don't know i don't know about about whether or not we should i don't know about judging his levels of racism i don't know if there's a scale for that either but um that is definitely one something that the writers are trying to do there and i think the reason is basically and they keep doing this in the pilot episode showing that he's got some good qualities and some bad qualities and I think showing that he's got a nice side just makes it hurt more when we see the final shot of the pilot um, of him with his wife and kids who are at home throughout the entire pilot, not once mentioned, of course, by the writers. Um, 
which again sets the precedent for the rest of the show, which is um, that a lot of the times the audience don't know the full story. I mean, we don't, you know, even find out who Don Draper really is until about season one, episode 12, um, when we see exactly how Dick turned into Don, basically the stealing of the dog tags and everything that transpired after that. Um, back to that, that scene. Um, there are some lines in this conversation that might be, um, I don't know if they're meant to be sort of read as metaphors or not, but Don asks the, the black waiter, uh, he's trying to ask him if he'll ever try any other cigarettes. And the black waiter says, no. Um, and, and Don goes, why? Is it because you're just used to them? The waiter says, I guess so. It's, it's a habit. And Don says, so I could never get you to try another brand. Now, I don't know if this question and answer scene is trying to get us to question whether people can change because he's asking, will this man ever smoke a different cigarette? Will this man ever um, change his ways in a way? Now, I'm not sure if that's what they're trying to get at. Um, I doubt they are. I think it's probably a reach. But I thought I'd add that just because I made a note of it and I wanted to kind of explore it a little bit and the more I think about it I don't think they were saying anything poignant it's just a bit of conversation and I don't know if they were making the do people change point um and then there's a little bit of, of sexism to end the scene again <laughs> Mad Men is full of these I I simply can't mention every time there's a sexist or a racist comment um or anything sort of uh, that we'd consider really fucked up I can't do that in this podcast because if I did we wouldn't get anywhere um, because there's too many. There's, there's way too many. But there is a line at the end where the, the, the waiter says to Don, oh, ladies love their magazines, and they have a little chuckle about that. Um, the show is beginning to, in the in that first shot, in the first scene, sorry, introduce some of the themes of sexism and racism and um, just the general smoking, drinking, and <laughs> Don talking to strangers, um, and his constant sort of, the fact that he's always working. Sorry if you can hear some background noise, by the way. I think there's some construction going on outside my window. Um, and then the next scene, I believe, is, is Don visiting Midge. Um, and then I, uh, Midge mentions that she's working on something that they now... She says this quote, they invented something called Grandmother's Day. And that's what she's working on um, because she's an artist. Um, I think there's a bit of cynicism there just from from... Matthew Weiner and his writers commenting on consumerism, consumerist bullshit. That might just be me looking into it and projecting, <laughs> but um, it, it might. It, I think it is probably Weiner saying, you know, all this Grandmother's Day, Mother's Day, Father's Day. It's all kind of Valentine's Day. It's all kind of bollocks, really. Um, stuff to cre- created maybe just to make us spend money. Um, but they don't, they don't really hammer on that point in that scene. It's just something she says. Um, and then Don says a, a line to Midge about him feeling like he's creatively sort of exhausted his ideas for this cigarette campaign and he can't think of anything. And he says a quote here. And I wrote it down because it, it it's the first time we see this um, idea of Don as, as, a, as an artist, as um, someone who's trying to create something in these ads and someone who's got the regular problems of someone of a creative person 
he feels drained. He feels creatively sort of done. The quote that he says is, I am over and they're finally going to know it. Um, what's the next line? I am over and they're finally going to know it. Next time you see me, <laughs> there'll be a bunch of young executives picking meat off my ribs. This introduces the idea again of the young versus old, something that I'm sure will come up in the show um, down the line um, with with Roger's struggles of becoming an, an older man as the show progresses. And even Don here expressing some of his uh, sort of doubts as he gets older and sees these young'uns coming up and um, perhaps trying to come come for his job, like Pete says in, in, in a later scene. Um, then we go to a scene of, of the gentleman... Entering a lift with Peggy there as well. Some casual sexism. Again, I can't, I can't mention all of these moments, but, um, there's one of them. Yeah, and then Ken, Ken Cosgrove, I was gonna say Campbell. Ken Cosgrove says a line that I really like. He says, you gotta let them know what kind of guy you are, then they know what kind of girl to be. Again, some more casual sexism that they're just throwing, throwing in there. It's quite disgusting and obviously misogynistic. Um, but that's the show. It's 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 certainly on the nose when it comes to stuff like that. I think people criticise it for that as well. I personally don't. I think it's the perfect amount of on the nose ism or whatever you want to say. I do think it's um because I, I think it's on, on the nose, but sometimes not on the nose, and that's how they make up for it. Uh, what else do we see next? We see <laughs> we see that the boys enter Pete's office, and Pete's on the phone to his wife. Um, and he says, again, casual sexism, um, of course I love you. This is him talking to his wife. Again, I have to uh, sort of emphasize that. He's talking to his wife and he says, of course I love you. I'm giving up my life to be with you, aren't I? <laughs> and and then they show him holding a picture of his wife, who's actually not the woman who plays Trudy. I forget her name. Um, but she's not, act- she's not actually holding a picture of Trudy. It's meant to be his wife, Trudy, but um, I think I read somewhere or heard somewhere that it's Matthew Weiner's mum, that picture. Um, something Weiner just put in there for his own sentimental reasons, it seems. Um, but uh, that's a little bit of behind the scenes info, I guess, that I, I read somewhere. And then Pete hangs up and then I think the boys talk about um, his bachelor party or something, something, something sexist. And then there's some women-to-woman sexism with Joan introducing herself in the office to Peggy and she's saying that um, uh, she tells her to, to put a bag over her head and really evaluate her strengths and weaknesses. Another key line from the pilot that is is so, um, I don't know, it's so it's just a classic Mad Men line. It's just brutal, brutal sexism, really honest. Um and then she, and then there's another, one of my standout lines from the pilot that I always think about is when Joan reveals the typewriter and stuff and says, try not to be overwhelmed by all this technology. Hilarious. Hilarious line. Um, I don't have anything to say about it other than it's, it's hilarious. And I remember when I, when I first was watching the pilot, you know, it was just one of the lines that stood out to me. One of the scenes, um, that I was just, you, you know, you're being introduced to a sense of humor of this show in the pilot, I think. And you either bite or you don't. And I really fucking loved it. <laughs> I really loved it. Um, another classic Mad Men storytelling moment um, happens straight after this scene with Joan and Peggy. It's Roger going into Don's office, and Don he's te- Roger tells Don, "You look, you look like shit." I think he sarcastically says, um, "You look like a hundred bucks or something along those lines." 
And then they showed on taking off his shirt because he's obviously just come come into the office, you know, straight from a night out, basically. I think he was with Midge or, or someone. Um, and they show him opening his drawer. Nothing said about this. They, it's just a one split, maybe one two second shot um, where they show him opening his drawer and there's a stack of shirts. It's not even two seconds. It's less than it's less than that of uh, just a shot of his shirt and it's classic madman storytelling because it's one shot that tells you um a lot about this this character right why does he have a stack of clean white pressed shirts in his um in his fucking the drawer right next you know right next to his desk um it doesn't maybe paint him in in the most favorable light when you when you learn that he's got a wife and kids at home it's quite disgusting actually um, but the good thing about Mad Men is that, as disgusting as this protagonist is, we hopefully, I think the point is that we still love him uh, to some extent, and we still root for him to some extent. Otherwise, why do we care what happens to him? Why do we continue watching? Um, so I do think you're meant to love him, and I do think you're meant to hate parts of him. Um, but that's like the thesis of the show. Again, I talk about that far more as this podcast goes on, um, about how Mad Men is basically about um, your good parts and your bad parts, I think. That's my interpretation of the show. And it's about overcoming um, the shame of perhaps your your uglier side, your uglier characteristics, and, and fully loving yourself. But again, like I say, we'll get to that on another, at another time. Um, and then we get, we, we introduce to Sal... Salvatore Romano, um, and his first line, <laughs> Don is at his window doing some, some sort of shoulder exercise with some, um, 60s looking equipment. And he walks in and he says, look at you, Gidget. And, um, that kind of, again, is a very telling line because as we find out many, many, many episodes later, Sal is gay. Um, I, I kind of suspect it straight away and I think you're meant to, you're meant to of course get hints, but, um, I think I picked up on it very quickly and I was sort of catching the lines that, um, all of those lines really, for example, he comes in, he says, look at you Gidget, and then he puts down his, um, the, you know, his drawing that he's done for his, um, I think for Lucky Strike and he sort of puts his hand over it and says, this is my neighbor who he presumably drew, who, uh, Sal describes him as always looking very relaxed and I was picking up on these and I kind of and the scene of them later in the bar as well Sal says something that's clearly gay because he he um uh, the woman says something like oh, I love this room it's fill- filled with men and then he says oh yeah tell me about it something along those lines um but I think we get, you know it's not it's not one of the things that madmen are trying to hide I don't think I don't think they necessarily don't want us to know that he's gay at that point they don't mind if you know um they do mind if you if you know other things and they, that's why they conceal them, such as the fact that Don has a wife. He doesn't wear a wedding ring because Madman is about the details a lot of the time and they know that, you know, just not mentioning anything about his wife keeps it out of our mind so that when we do see it, it's, it's an even bigger shock. And I don't think they sort of did that with Sal. Sal isn't the protagonist. It's a side story. Um, we can know he's gay, basically. The reveal isn't as important. I think, the reason I think that is because, uh, you know, the fact that I sort of picked up on my first viewing, um, when I first watched the show uh, last year or so, I, I, I feel like because I picked up on it, you know, they, they weren't necessarily trying to hide it. Maybe they were though. Um, 
And then Don says, you know, why don't we get a female model? And then Sal says, oh, I love my work. And it's really forced and the delivery is quite perfect, really, because Sal, I feel like the way he said it is how you'd say if you're a closet homosexual in the 60s. Um, It was forced and and awkward. And then the, the psychologist comes in and I believe... Well, no, I, I know that this is the first mention of Freud in the show, or the first reference to Freud, whom I've read that Matthew Weiner loves, or at least loves the work of. I don't know if he loves Freud himself, but he, he's certainly fascinated by Freud's works. Um, and the psychologist that comes into Don's office mentions the death death wish that she believes society has, and Pete obviously re- refers to, to her research later on as well. Um, not much to say here. Um, other than the fact that he, he throws her research in front of her, he throws it in the bin in front of her face, which I thought was pretty rude, and kind of, you know, showing us his ugly side as well. And then we see Don lying down on his back on the sofa, and the camera zooms into a fly that's trapped in, trapped inside the ceiling light. Um, I've watched the show four times now. I've probably watched the pilot even more than that, and I still don't know why <laughs> they show that fly. Maybe it's because Don is... I'm kind of speaking off the top of my head now. Maybe it's because Don feels trapped. I don't know. Um, but they spend a lot of time showing that fly. And then they show... And then we hear some bombing sounds in whilst Don sort of drifts into sleep. And I think that's just to tell us that this man's had some trauma, has some trauma in his, in his mind that he's probably not quite done with. And I think, you know, these next seven seasons is us watching him deal with those uh, events that that he's been through. Um, I'm referring to the war and his childhood and the things that happened then. And then Peggy comes and wakes Don up. And then there's the scene with, with Pete being super sexist to, um, to towards Peggy. Um, he says, you know, it wouldn't be a sin for you to show your ankles a bit. And then Don sort of defends Peggy's honour and he says, you know, hey, cut it out essentially i don't remember the and i didn't write down in my in my notes the quote that he says but he 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 sort of backs up peggy and apologizes for pete and then there's the scene between pete and don where where he says the famous brazier line um to pete about the world probably looks like one big brazier strap to you um and there's a funny exchange when he says how do you pete and pete it's I mean, I thought it was a rhetorical question, um, and it probably was meant to be a rhetorical question, but Pete actually responds, oh, he just turned 26. And again, back, back to the delivery of these, these actors, perfect, perfect delivery here from Vincent Carthys, I believe it's pronounced, I'm not sure, um, who, by the way, is probably, probably my favourite character of the show. Um, I don't know if that's a clear, you know, I don't have a clear-cut, clear-cut favourite. They're all fucking brilliant, and they're all brilliantly written, and they've all got their... You know, but Pete for me is someone I just um, kind of, uh, I just love the way that character is written and um, Vincent's delivery in this line and obviously throughout the show. This is a joke, but his his um, emotional scenes are just as, just as fantastic. He's fucking brilliant. I think he's a genius, really. And then there is a little bit more sexism in the meeting with Rachel Menken. Don starts off on the wrong foot. He goes to shake the, the hand of... Um, the man who's standing next to Rachel Menken, who's actually meant to be an employee of Sterling Cooper. Um, so he starts off on the wrong foot and then ends on an even worse foot when he says, um, um, I won't let a woman, I'm not going to let a woman talk to me like this. And he storms out. He does what Don has 
continues to do in a lot of his meetings where he just sort of throws a, a, a tantrum as as Pete puts it after the New York Times incident and he um he storms out of out of out of the room this shows Don's well first of all his sexism again you know we've kind of just seen him be nice about Peggy and defend her honor and then he comes and does something you know really sexist and when again torn about this man about where we stand on him I think a little bit He's, he's a conflicting character that way. It also shows us that he's got this childish side to him where he would just storm out like a, like a, you know, he can't really control his emotions. He, he can lose his temper sometimes, I think. Um, so it's talking about all of that, I think, in that scene. And then we've got the scene of Peggy, um, and the world's most sexist doctor. His language is just vulgar. And on top of that, he's, to think that this is a medical professional and the stuff he says, some stuff along the lines of, well, first of all, Peggy's reading a brochure that, brochure that says, so it's your wedding night. And she, you know, it's clearly saying that there's this attitude, even in the medical profession, that contraception is only for people who were married. Um, sex is only for people who are married, which is a backwards, backwards idea, backwards thought especially from the medical community and the doctor is is just a disgusting i don't even want to repeat the line that he says but he says i will um but this is probably the most offensive thing he says to peggy slide your fanny towards me it's uh there's a there's a there's a there's a bit of humor in there of course i think they, they're looking for laughs as well but it's also just this this disgusting repulsive doctor i would like to again mention the actor is really brilliant in this scene of course elizabeth moss is as well uh but the doctor again we only see this guy once i think this is it we see him once in the pilot and that's it but they nailed it with casting in my opinion he's 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 a funny he's a funny actor what's the next scene <clears throat> i think we go back to the meeting and then don says his sexist line and then don and pete are walking back and um I, I just wrote down a quote here from Pete where he's talking to Don about how shit the meeting went and he says, look, you're right, Don, I'm not great with people. And that line stuck out, stuck out to me because in later seasons we see that Campbell actually is good with people because he becomes one of the most successful account men in SCDP. So, um, I kind of like that line. Again, maybe it's just because I'm a fan of Pete, but I like that they're, they're laying this, this, um, they're putting this quote out there of him not being good with people, but he proves to become very, he proves to be very, very good with people, in fact. And we see it happen a lot where, where Don loses his temper, just like he did in the Menken meeting, and Pete picks up the pieces. He can't, he actually fails to do it in, in the scene with Menken. He deepen, he further offends her, in fact. But we see it in later seasons, he perfects his role. Don is the hot-tempered uh, alpha male, if you want to say. And Campbell is um, perhaps not the alpha, but he has a skill and he f fucking does it really well um, because he is great with people. He is. <laughs> Strangely enough, he strange enough as it is, he, he, he is good with people. And then there's the Lucky Strike meeting, which is kind of the centerpiece of this episode in a lot of ways, because it's what Don's, it's what is the thing that's been occupying Don's mind a lot. Um, as well as Menken as well, I think in the, in, below the surface there's some. He, I think she had an impact on him, hence why he even arranges another meeting slash date with her. But the Lucky Strike meeting is hugely, hugely significant. Quite like the famous carousel scene, which comes at the season finale, season one finale. Um, in the pilot, we see Don Draper do what he he does um, in these meetings and these pitches. 
which is he knocks the ball out of the park. There's a moment where we think he's not going to do that because he he freezes up and Pete brings up the research that the lucky strike men do not do not like because they don't like the implication that smoking is dangerous. And these men, just like Don Draper earlier, they don't care for the research. Because like Don Draper, these are outdated men. And we know that Don Draper, Don Draper drinks the old fashioned. Because that's what, that's basically what he is. In, in a lot of ways, Don Draper is old fashioned. And these men are like him. They don't give a fuck about the research. Because they don't believe that smoking is dangerous. Which is why it's hilarious that they all cough in that, in that, in that scene in the uh, meeting where everyone just stops for a second and coughs again. That for me is a hilarious scene, hilarious moment, um, and kind of introduces Mad Men's sense of humour a little bit. But no, this scene is significant because of Don's, because of how Don ends the meeting. He smashes the ball out of the park, he saves the entire pitch, he comes up with the famous It's Toasted line, which I actually researched, and it, in real life it was first used in 1917. Um, and obviously this is 1960, March of 1960, I believe, is the pilot, is when the pilot is set. So, um, in, in reality, this line is way older than, than, than Don Draper. Um, but in the show, he brings it, he thinks of it right on the spot, actually, as, as Lee Garner Sr. is, is talking about the process of how they make the, the cigarettes. And then again, why this scene is significant is because Don goes on a bit of a philosophical, uh, a rant here, where he, I mean, it's not exactly a rant. But he, he starts philosophizing. I don't know if that's a word, but he starts philosophizing about happiness and what happiness is. And he says that it's, it's a billboard on the side of a road that tells you that you are okay. And when you know the context of this line, I think it means a lot, a lot, lot more than just what it, what it did to me when I first watched the show. And it's one of the reasons that this podcast even exists. For me, the reason I'm starting it is to share nuggets like this. You are okay. We hear those words for the first time in the pilot and several more times as the show goes on. What, I mean, I'm just going to mention the ones that pop to mind straight away. The LSD trip when Roger looks in the mirror and Don Draper is behind him and says, you are okay. That's one of the times I remember it. Um, one of the last ever episodes sometime in season seven. Roger and Donna in a bar. I believe it's one of the last episodes. It might be, it might, it might just, it might even be in the earlier parts of season seven, but sometimes towards the end. Um, forgive me for not knowing the exact episode, but Roger and Donna are in the bar. I think Roger kisses Don, <laughs> which in itself is strange. He kisses Don and he says, you are okay. The reason the context is important is because this is, um, from what I've read, somewhat of a mantra for Matthew Weiner. In fact, it's the name of his production company. It's his, the name of the production company is the letters U R O K Productions. Um, when you read it, it kind of looks like it says U Rock Productions because it's sort of one word and it's just the letters. Um, but I believe it's it's something that Matthew Weiner repeatedly told him throughout this show and throughout his life. When shit gets real, when shit gets tough, he reminds himself it's a mantra. It's kind of like a it sounds like a sort of Buddhist thing um, to me. To have like a mantra like this, you are okay. But it's, I, I think it's quite brilliant, really. I think it's, it's quite touching for Matthew Weiner to put that, you know, his, his mantra in the show. So it's quite a sweet moment once you know the context, I think. For me, I, I feel, I, I feel a little bit uneasy when I see Don portrayed in the way that he's portrayed in this scene, like Superman, basically. 
he's this impervious, um, perfect man who, who comes and saves the pitch, saves the day. And he, of course he's handsome, of course he's tall, he's the alpha, he's got a deep, booming voice. These are all things that the show presents to us, and they present him as this awesome figure in a lot of ways, who, who can save the pitch, who does have the confidence to, to do something like that. But the show doesn't end there. That's not that's not what this show is about. The show isn't about this fantastic hero who comes and saves the show at the end of the the episode or the pitch. This show it doesn't fall under under the category of those shows. That's just um, I heard this term once and I can't remember where or who, so I don't know who to to ascribe this quote to. But it's something about how there's a lot of TV shows, and I think Sherlock Holmes is one of those characters where it's just like competency porn or intelligence porn where we're just watching a man who's really high-functioning, really intelligent, and unnaturally so, unnaturally intelligent. And he just comes and kind of like the the, the dus ex machina, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but he comes and he just sort of, like with a magic wand, solves everything because he's so smart, you know, and he's so perfect. Don is presented in that way, and then we're instantly shown why he's not. He's not a role model, he's not a perfect man, and he's, in fact, deeply, deeply flawed, and on top of that, deeply, deeply psychologically damaged, which is also important for the show, important for the character. And obviously, we we know he's not perfect by the end of the episode, but we'll get to that when we get to it. We've got a scene where we see the boys coming into Don's office and celebrating how he knocked the ball out of the park in the lucky strike pitch, and they say, you know, it's 5.15... I think Harry Crane, no, sorry, uh, Paul Kinsey says this, I think. He says it's 5.15, it's time to go, mate. Time to get this party started. And they're referring to Pete's uh, bachelor party. And Don politely declines. He says he's not going to go. Um, and I think it's significant because Roger, just before that, says it looks like you guys are going to um, take part in some mid-level camaraderie, so I'll see myself out. And Don is left in that room, but then he also sees himself out of the room. He doesn't physically, I mean metaphorically. He says, I'm not going to join the bachelor party. And I think that's kind of a, ba- uh, a power move on his part. He, I don't know if it's intended or not, but it is a power move because he's not partaking in their their activities. He's not, he's not a part of their club, which once again reinforces this idea that this man is, is alone. He's, um, we're, 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 guess we're trying to find what group he fits into at work. We see that he gets along with Roger. We see that he doesn't really get along with Pete as much as Pete wants to suck up to Don. And it's drawing those boundaries. That's what Don's doing here. And it sets the precedent for the show. Again, like I say, he's he's not a part of their club. He's not of the same... He's not from the same cloth as Pete or Harry or... I mean, he is in a lot of ways, but he certainly isn't joining them here. Um, and then Peggy comes in and says that... She, she says, I heard you were amazing in the meeting. And then Don says, I think quite a significant line where he says fear stimulates my imagination which is particularly true of, of Dick Whitman isn't it who under an immense amount of fear and pressure fear of his life by the way is what I'm referring to in the war he's fearing for his life at that moment when he's just seen this man get blown into almost smithereens on front of his very eyes and under that em- enormous fear his imagination is stimulated to use Don's words and he steals this guy's dog tag and he successfully steals another man's identity. That is quick thinking. <laughs> um, he certainly certainly does work well under great pressure and great fear. And I think it's just an example of Madman's brilliant writing. You know, this line means makes perfect sense in the scene, but it also means something else. Um, Eleven episodes later, when you find out that he stole another man's identity during combat, 
during a war. And then uh, there's another moment where he, he's drawing boundaries once again between himself and his colleagues when Peggy puts his hand, her hand on his hand and he says, I'm your boss, not your boyfriend. It's strange because this introduces this idea that Don has got some, maybe some rules about whom he sleeps with. And I kind of got the idea that he means, look, because of what he said to Pete earlier as well um, about not sleeping with with people in advertising, he... I, th- I felt like it's basically him saying, I don't bring this stuff to work. I don't do this at work. But that's not true because we know he does because he sleeps with Menken. <laughs> he sleeps with um, several secretaries later on in the show as well. He goddamn marries one as well. So um, it's this him creating this boundary, but it's something that's kind of really specific to Peggy, isn't it, we learn? Because he's not averse to sleeping I don't know if averse is the right word but he's not opposed to sleeping with his secretaries we see that later on um, but he doesn't he doesn't want any of that with Peggy at least and then we go to the bachelor party and Pete is sexually harassing a woman he's touching her thigh and rubbing her thigh and she's um, saying dude I'm not comfortable with this <laughs> he and to fair, I mean not fair play to Pete because he sexually harassed a woman in a bar but fair play to him for at least stopping um, in that moment when she showed that she's not comfortable with it i think this strikes me because it's so relevant in our times now specifically the me too era it's this example of of a woman being being sexually harassed by a man and it makes me really uncomfortable because it makes me wonder how much we've even come forward you know um from the 60s and i think one of the points of this show and i think you're really missing something if you don't get this from Mad Men. one of the points of the show I'm sure this is one of the the, the, the main driving... I, I, I don't know if it's on the writer's mind, minds, but it certainly is one of my main takeaways from the show, which is that the 60s are not that different to right now, to today. Do we still have racism? Fuck yes. Do we still have sexism? Fuck yes. And so I, I, I think it's completely wrong to watch this as like a historical show even. It is, but this show is, is more about humans and how we behave um and that doesn't change it hasn't changed at least um it, i fear for how you know relevant the show is sometimes to our our current state politically um, um in terms of gender politics in terms of race politics class politics you know it's all a lot of a lot of the, the issues are, are the same to now um and i think that's one of the points of the show I, I do think that's one of the main the, one of the main uh, sort of takeaways. Then we go to Don in the bar with Rachel. We see that he is shaken by some of Rachel Con- Rachel Menken's comments. He asks her why she's not married, and she says she's never been in love. And Don makes fun of her. He takes the mick out of her, and he says, "Love." He basically says, "Love doesn't exist. Love was created by advertisers like me um, to sell nylons." Is is what he says, and he reveals a little bit more about his philosophy. It's this idea of him saying we, we're born alone, we die, we die alone, and it kind of shows us why he's a bit fucked in the head. He doesn't believe in love. What kind of philosophy is that? It's the philosophy of someone who, who, well, he mentions being born alone. He quite literally was born alone because uh, his mother died, I believe, during childbirth. That's what being born alone means. <laughs> you know, to be born into a world where. Um, moments later your mother dies and then you're left on the doorstep of, of another woman um, that's what he means by he's born alone and the reason he doesn't think love, love exists is because well we've seen what his stepmother and his his um, 
Uncle Mac, I believe he calls him, were like. And and the, the people in his childhood were truly horrific people, including the prostitutes, by the way, that he lived with once he became an adolescent. Um, we'll get to that when we get to it as well. But he's he's never felt love. He's never felt that kind of warmth. In fact, one of the people that he did feel it from was the, prost- the very same prostitute who sexually abused him. Um, so he's got a miss... Uh, he's got a really fucked up notion of what love is and of what empathy and warmth is, um, which is one of the reasons for his many, many flaws. One of the reasons he can't have healthy relationships, healthy attachments to women is because the women in his life were, didn't know what love was. They didn't give him the love that, that, that is healthy, um, that you need to be a, a you know, someone who's sane, basically someone who's healthy, and has healthy relationships. Um, he didn't have that as a child. And Rachel hits the nail on the head. And she, she, I think she has his number when she says that he feels disconnected and out of place. And she relates to that as a Jewish woman in the 60s who's in in business, in the fashion business. And he relates to it because of, well, his past. Um, he looks visibly shaken when Rachel Menken is saying this. He's... He looks, he, his face basically says, oh, she's right, <laughs> isn't she? She, I am out of place. I do feel disconnected. Why is that? And I, I've read somewhere, someone on Reddit, forgive me for not knowing, for not, for not remembering who this was, but someone said that this is the very moment that the show basically starts because it, 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 it's the first time we see Don Draper unraveling. It shows him beginning, just, just beginning to confront some of those darker places in his mind and then we see pete campbell go to peggy's house and they fuck as the episode closes we see don draper on the train going back home i think these shots of him on the train are extremely significant i think the shots of him on a train symbolize don draper kind of prepping before going home turning into the man that he needs to before entering those that big red door of his front house and the reason I, I think it's significant is because we see him a really specific scene in season one, episode 12, after he's just stolen the identity of, of Donald Draper, the real Donald Draper. And he's, he's going to deliver the body of Dick Whitman, which is actually the coffin, inside the coffin will actually be the real Don Draper. But he goes and he's on a train and they show him basically seeing his, his family for the last time. And his younger brother sees him on the train, actually. And we see him looking out at the family and then there's a woman's voice who says, says to Don, I can't remember exactly what she's saying, but she's quite clearly flirting. And Don does look handsome in his soldier's uniform and she she touches his hand or his arm and says, oh, look at you. Let me buy a soldier a drink. And then they turn around and they walk towards the bar. And once again, we've got a shot of Don's Don walking away from us and we're looking at his back. And I think that shows Dick Whitman turning into Don Draper. He is now a war hero and he's seen that way on that train by that woman. She is um, a microcosm for the world and for society and for how everyone else in the show and the audience see Don Draper when they look at him. They see this handsome ex-military man who's, who's you know, got all these great qualities, you know, confidence, charisma, looks, fucking brilliant suits. But that's not him. But I, I feel like the train thing is, is, is kind of showing him on the train kind of shows him, shows the audience how he sort of turns into the man that he needs to be. Um, for example, when he turns from Dick, Dick Women into Dot and Draper and from when he leaves his office, he has to turn from, from this, wherever he is in the office 
he basically acts like a single man. And when he gets on that train, he has to turn himself into the family man, into the face that he shows his wife, the person that he shows himself to be to his wife and his, his two lovely kids as well. I think the first shot of Betty Draper is absolutely genius as well, because she... I don't know how they do this, but it's clearly just genius filmmakers and the genius director um, and, and, and writing of, Mad, of Matthew Weiner and Madman as a whole. But they show Betty Draper, basically, to me, she looks like a fucking princess in that first shot. Her beautiful skin illuminated by the lamp um, that she turns on, uh, her beautiful hair. Her beautiful eyes, her, her she just looks perfect. She's wearing this lovely, I think this pink night dress, and she looks like the perfect woman, the perfect wife. At least on the surface, in that shot, I mean, just on a superficial level. And of course, what's in perfect sight is her wedding ring. And this is their, their reveal, that he's got this beautiful princess who waits at home for him whilst he's out being a um, philandering, disgusting douchebag of a husband. And then we see, of course, he goes upstairs to his kids, and they they... They leave it as late as they possibly can because they show, uh, as in the reveal, that he has kids in the first place and a wife as well. But even after we meet his wife, they he kisses her and he says, I'll be back. He doesn't say, I'm going to go say hi to the kids. I'm going to go give kiss the kids goodnight. They leave it as late as they possibly can. They show him, they, he just says, I'll be back. He walks up the stairs. They show his, his footsteps. He's wearing his socks and he's walking somewhere. We still don't know where. And then eventually... They show um, these two children, Bobby Draper and Sally Draper, who in this shot, I believe, isn't played by Kiernan Shipka. In later episodes, she is, and we'll talk more about her later because she is also just another one of the geniuses of the show, um, Kiernan, um, as well as, of course, January Jones and, and Dick, and <laughs> I was going to say Dick Whitman, and John Hamm, um, and all of the, most of the actors, really. But in this shot, it's not Kiernan, I believe, it's just a, a stand-in. And he sort of rubs their head and is kissing them goodnight. And we see Betty Draper coming in the doorway and, and look at her husband. And it's quite heartbreaking in that moment, I think, because we see this. Well, it's the reveal and it finally hits you. It tells you a little bit about what kind of show we're watching, I think. Um, and I think the way it, I think it's so perfect. Um, and it's so, such, such a classic madman moment because like I say, we're going to talk about this in, in, in future episodes, but one of the most, uh, one of the things that keeps happening in Mad Men is this idea of the audience being left in the dark. We don't know exactly what's going on. And in this moment, we think, even here, when they reveal something so huge, i.e. his wife and kids, we still don't know the full story because he's not even Don. He's not even the man that these people think he is. So there's that, that element to it as well. Um, even in a reveal. They still don't reveal all of it, uh, because that's what Mad Men is about. It's, they withhold so much information from you. But it makes for a fucking really good television. It's a drama show at the end of the day, and, um, that's how they create their drama. That's how they create, for me, the best TV show I've ever watched. The most suspenseful, suspenseful show, the, 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 just the most perfect drama television series, really, in my opinion. Um, and that's one of the ways they do it. They withhold so much information from you and they give you so little. And yet so much as well, because, of course, it gives you a lot of food for thought. That's one thing they they love to do at the end of the episodes. You don't finish a Mad Men episode usually and have all the answers. You're left to think about it and sit with it for a while. Um, and 
I love that final shot of Betty, Betty in the in the in the doorway and Don sort of kneeling at his kid's bed. It's so perfect and heartbreaking, and I'm, I still feel like I can remember the first time I watched it, and I might not be remembering the first time I watched it because I've watched it four or five, six times since. But I just remember thinking, oh, it's fucking brilliant, brilliant that they revealed it, revealed it in that way, and I thought it was quite genius. Um, and it's actually a shot that we see later on as well. This is the final thing I'll say about this about this episode, but we do see Pete have the exact same shot with Trudy Campbell standing in the doorway, and Pete is kneeling beside um, his daughter's bed, and he's rubbing her hair or something like that as well, saying goodnight. And by that point, of course, we already know this because this is quite late on. I think this is season five to seven sometime then when we see that shot of Pete and his family. And I think it's again just heartbreaking when we see it with Pete as well, because it's this man who has this family and for whatever reason, he breaks, he, he, he fucks it up. Basically, he cheats on his wife. He isn't honest to his kids or his his wife at any point. Pete and Don, I'm talking about, you know, and they've got these beautiful wives, these beautiful children, and seemingly idyllic lives in a lot of ways, yet they seek seek something more, something else, yet they're not content with their beautiful wife, their beautiful kids, they're not content with their lives, um, and they're these cheating, lying, disgusting men in a lot of ways, who we care so much about as well, which... You know, it's um, it's what this show is about. It's about these 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 men's lives, these women's lives, and and we follow them on the journey. And that's what we're going to do in this podcast as well um, for seven whole seasons. Um, that's all I'm going to say for season one, episode one. Thank you for listening. Do join me next time. I'm going to be talking about season one, episode two. Um, thank you for listening once again. You've been listening to Revisiting Mad Men. <laughs>